Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Light and Lion podcast. It has been a good three weeks to a month. I think we took a like accidental, I guess, summer break. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on with between selling a house and buying a house. So fortunately, we're now moved in sort of to the the new home, the new studio. So I have a office full of boxes and, and books um, that need to be put away. So getting there slowly but surely, but enough to at least set up this sort of temporary studio space. So you'll probably notice that the audio quality is going to be significantly better today. Uh, so thank you all for, for bearing with us here. So super excited to talk about uh, this topic for today. We're going to be diving into the KJV only controversy. And I'm kind of just going to toss it over to you, Chris, because you found this sort of video or this reel. Um, so tell us a little bit about what we can expect from what, what we're going to see and talk about today. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, I'm glad that you said that I actually have to pull up this reel, but while I'm doing that, um, to kind of give a little bit of background and really the name says it all right. The, the KJV controversy, uh, or the KJV only controversy. This is, uh, a discussion that's been going on. I'd assume since the medieval era, you know, or a little bit after in the 1600s when the KJV officially was released, right? In 1611, and ultimately what it is, is it's a group of people who believe that because the KJV was the first authorized version, hence it's it, the other name is known as is the authorized version, right? Because um, it was translated and produced at a time where having an English translation of the Bible was illegal. You were not allowed to make translations or produce them in the English language. It needed to be, you know, in the the Latin Vulgate, which was the official language or the official translation of the, the Catholic Church at that time. Obviously, at this point, Protestantism was really up and going, and it had been for about a hundred years at this point. Um, but the KJV was the first authorized version of the English um, Bible, and so there is a group of people who believe that because of its status as that, you know, kind of first official version. It was not the first English translation, but the first official translation. I just want to be clear on that because there are some translations that came before it. Um, however, the the people believe that because of the um, no doubt divine, uh, I guess you could say providential control that had to take place in order for uh, an authorized English translation to come about, people then believe and this is just one of the reasons that I've heard um, that the KJV is the only inspired and inerrant and infallible um, English translation of the Bible. And so that's kind of a little bit of the background on the controversy itself. Um, and we're obviously going to get a little bit more into that. I'm trying so hard to find this real. And yeah, as you're pulling that you up, it to me. as you're pulling that up, I'm going to go way back to something that you said in one of our first episodes as we're talking about the reliability of, of scripture. And we talked about how scripture is, um, you know, inerrant, um, you know, it's, it's, um, infallible. It's, it's, it's perfect, but we want to emphasize that the, what is it that the, the signatures were the, were what were divinely inspired, um, not necessarily the translations themselves. We had talked about the passion translation and, and other translations and maybe get it, um, you know, not so correct. And so I think it's important as we as we talk about this, we're we don't want to conflate a translation with just because a, a translation of the Bible. We don't want to just assume it's perfection because it is calling in itself the Bible. Um, I think it's important yeah. to 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 make that distinction, right? Because I, I made the point back in that episode. If I was to say I want to do my own translation of the Bible, and then I just start writing my own, you know, gibberish, 
but I call it a Bible. That doesn't make it divinely inspired or inerrant or infallible because I call it a Bible. Um, so we want to make sure and yeah. keep that in mind as well. When we, t- when we talk about a certain translation, we are not attacking the Bible. We're talking, we're, we're not even attacking, but we're discussing the, the um, accuracy of that translation. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you brought that up, Dakota, too, because um, I do not want to give the impression that we are saying Christians should not read the KJV. I know several people who they prefer reading the KJV f- for their own reasons, not because they believe it's in the only inspired or authoritative you know, English translation. They just enjoy reading it. Um, I've actually heard some people enjoy reading it because the uniqueness of the language and the vernacular, it's a little bit easier to memorize some verses in from the King James. I've heard people say that before. Yeah, Psalm um, 23, you know, you right? Of, yeah, Psalm 23, <laughs> right? Uh, stuff like that, or the Lord's right. Prayer in the New Testament. People, I've often heard people say, it's just easier for me to uh, memorize because the word's a little bit more unique and the, and the, uh, the grammar, I guess you could say is a little more unique. So it's easier to remember. Um, but yeah, I don't definitely don't want to give anyone the impression that we're attacking the KJV. What we are more so going to discuss in the episode is the ideology that the KJV is the only or the best, uh, maybe that's a good way of saying it, the best English translation that we have of the Bible. I don't want to speak for Dakota, but I think he's going to agree with me here. Um, I'm going to make the argument that it is not the best. It, it is a good one. It is a good translation, and it has a rich, rich history and is no doubt an important component of Protestant uh, Protestantism, right? Right. Being and when the you first say, official, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And when you say the best, too, it's important that what we're kind of reacting to today is not just somebody who is who believes that they, they have a preference for their translation, right? We all have preferences. I prefer the ESV. I think that that is the one that I can, I can, you know, kind of um, understand the most, which would, but still staying accurate as best word by word um, to the text, in my opinion. Right. But if somebody else said CSB or NIV or NASB or KJV, that is absolutely 100% their prerogative, fantastic translations. Um, so we're not, what what we're really reacting to is somebody who says that KJV is really the only true or accurate translation. Not only that it's the best or their preferred, but that you shouldn't read any other translation. Right. And while we um, have been, you know, just trying to buy some time here, I did find the real. Um, so we are going to check this out. I think it's pretty short. Um, it's going to be self-explanatory, so I'm not going to really give a lot of context. But this is going to help us sort of understand one of the arguments that KJV onlyers, if we want to use that term, um, that they will use when they are suggesting that, hey, the KJV is the only um, or the best translation that we have in the English language. So I'm just going to go ahead and let this play. Dakota, let me know if for some reason you can't hear the cool. audio. Scriptures missing out of different Bibles. I've been warning you guys about these other Bibles. So we had to check our Bibles. Christian Standard Bible. This verse is Matthew 17, 21, and on this one it goes straight from 20 to 22. does not have 21. It's a new NIV. NIV. And Matthew 17, 20, 20 right over 21 to 22. And then new King James. This is my Bible, King James Version. Matthew 17, 21, of course, it's there. Uh, How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. How demons come out. It's missing it's that verse. Mom's Bible from way back when. 
All right, I'm just going to pause it because the, the rest of the video is more or less the same. Um, yeah. So it, if you didn't catch it, as the listener, if you didn't catch it, um, ultimately the implication is the some of the more modern or standard translations, the, the CSB they referenced, the NIV, I don't think they had the ESV, but let's just put that in there as well because the ESV does this as well. They say, hey, these more modern translations, they are actually intentionally omitting verse 21 and if you have an esv bible i'd encourage you go and look at it they're not wrong uh in a sense i have to qualify that if you look at a more modern translation it will go straight from verse 21 to verse 22 if you look in the esv the csb niv anything like that you're going to notice a little footnote though when you look at that footnote and you look at the very bottom of your page guess what you're going to find you're going to find the alleged missing verse and so um dakota what do we make of this are modern translations just i mean are they fooling us and in the title of that video by the way was don't trust don't this trust bible so yeah what do, I I mean, thought, what do we do here that's so funny to me like i mean lack of better words funny but watching that video in all caps for those for the listeners it literally was like don't trust the bible or don't trust this bible i mean such obvious clickbait and then the dude just like stands there or like showing himself just pointing at something. Oh, those are so cringe always. I'm like, you've added nothing to this. You're just showing us a video anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, so so they're claiming that that things have been removed from the Bible and implying that there is some kind of, you know, agenda behind this, that they're taking these out for a reason because they're, for whatever reason, they're afraid of, of its content or it's, you know, whatever. Something I think that that we conflate a lot when we're talking about the Bible and its its perfection is we have to understand that the chapters and the verses are not inspired, inerrant, infallible. Those were added in after the fact. Um, that's the first thing. So when you're reading your Bible and you're confused about, okay, why does this stop here? Why are these chapters? It seems like these are continuing on. You know, why did it choose to end here? Why is this verse here like this? Yeah, that's a great question. It's because a man put in those verses and chapters and we are definitely indebted to that, you know, I think it was uh, two people, one person did the chapters and the other person came into the verses. I can't remember their names, but uh, it's an incredible thing that they did because it helps us be able to navigate our Bibles more easily, right? If we all came to church with our scrolls and they said, okay, everyone, everyone to turn to the, you know, second, third of, of your, you know, your scroll, it'd be very <laughs> difficult, right? So, but, but they're not inspired. Um, and so when we see that a, a verse or something maybe is omitted, we have to ask the question, okay, why would that be the case, right? Is it that they have an agenda and that the translators are trying to take this out because they're afraid of what it says? Well, you just notated that, or you just said that, that it's in the footnote. So clearly they're not afraid of it. They put it in the Bible. But something that's very important is that as time has gone on, we've gotten more and more and more manuscripts to the point now where we have really an embarrassment of riches as it pertains to thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts. And that's allowed us to truly see, okay, what can we confidently say we're in those original manuscripts and what can we say mm, we're not so sure to the point where it's worth removing from the bible but keeping it in those footnotes um there so there's no you know there's no way for someone to say you know well you just took it out what's well, it's still there it's just clearly yeah. showing we have we have better manuscripts now because we have more um but i definitely want to get your thoughts on that yeah i mean i think you you hit on a a few really important things there, namely the manuscript evidence, which I definitely want to get back to. Um, but one thing I think it's important for the listeners to understand, because this is something that I learned 
pretty recently, actually. And it really helped me understand, you know, why are there some, um, if you read the KJV, actually, which is kind of ironic, uh, if you talk to a KJV only person, you bring this point up to them, they'll say, oh, no, like, that that's not a contradiction. But, um, and I forget the exact passages, but I think it's in reference to King Ahaziah's age. And in one book, they have him at a certain age, and another book, they have him at a different age. And people have tried to, you know, say, oh, well, uh, it's talking about two different people, but, you know, it's it, it's really not. Um, it, it's a, a lot more feasible explanation just to say, well, the manuscripts that the KJV was operating off of might have had an error. So people hear that, though, and they think, oh, my gosh, I thought the Bible was the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And you are correct to believe that. The Bible as we have it today, this ESV that is sitting on my desk right behind me, is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. However, and Dakota, you talked about this earlier, when we talk about inspiration, we are talking about the autographs, the original writings. I want to share this really quick because I really think it does a great job at summarizing this point here. Uh, let me see. Do, do, do. How do I... Uh, is it screen two, maybe? Oh, actually, it's not going to let me share it. So I'll just read it. So this is from the Chicago Statement on Inerrance. He was a bunch of pastors who came together and they crafted this uh, statement, uh, sort of like a doctrinal statement. Um, it's not a creed or a confession or anything like that. But Article 10 in this uh, Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, it reads, We affirm that inspiration, strictly speaking, applies only to the autographic text of Scripture, that is the originals, which in the providence of God can be ascertained from the available, um, that is the surviving, manuscripts with a great accuracy. We further affirm that copies and translations of Scripture are the word of God to the extent that they faithfully represent the original. So there's a lot to unpack here, and we're not going to super get into it. Maybe we'll do a more in-depth you know, textual criticism type of episode in the future. But what they are saying here is that God inspired the originals. He did not inspire copies or translations. And so when you read someone like Bart Ehrman who says, oh, well, there are 400,000, and we talked about this before, right, when we talked about the reliability of the New Testament. Someone like Bart Ehrman will point out, hey, there's 400,000 changes amongst the surviving copies. Uh, Bart Ehrman is actually wrong on that. It's actually more. It's closer to half a million. So he's actually a little bit under what the real value is, uh, which is a little bit ironic. But um, all that to say, we can account for those because we know that the copyist or the scribes who who took John's gospel or Mark's gospel and copied it, you know, um, in, in the first or the early centuries, they were not inspired. God did not, uh, you know, providentially reach down and control their hand and make sure that they copied everything exactly right. Some scribes were sleepy. Some scribes might have been illiterate and not really know what they were copying down. There's a whole lot of reasons why there are variations. Um, but to Dakota's point earlier, he talked about the embarrassment of riches of manuscript evidence. We have over 5,000 extant uh, manuscripts of the New Testament, be it in fragments or entire copies of the New Testament. That is a, a huge deal <laughs> because what textual critics can do is they can take these copies and they can look at them and say, hey, here's what the original said because we have identified all the areas where the copies differ. They can ascertain, which is exactly what the uh, statement on inerrancy says, is they can ascertain with a high degree of certainty, here's what the original said. So how does all this tie back to the KJV-only discussion? 
Well, in 1611, we didn't have near as many manuscripts discovered as what we have in the year 2023. We have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts now that we simply just didn't know about in 1611. And so what we've been able to do, or not we, um, I'm not near smart enough to be a text critic, <laughs> but people who are smart enough. I didn't to know you were it, part of that. Have, That's awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but people who have um, who have the, the skill and the training in text criticism, they've been able to look at all these manuscripts and say, hey, we know with a 99 point, whatever the percentage accuracy is, is this is what the original said. So when we talk about inspiration and infallibility, what we are saying is the current copies and translations are considered inspired, infallible, and inerrant so long as they reflect the original uh, writings, right? So if something deviates, we can't speak of those writings in terms of inspiration and you know the, all these topics that we're, we're discussing here. Um, I want to share my screen again, if it's going to work, because there's a website. Use kjvonly.com. I wonder what it's about. And Dakota, I want to get, I want to get your, <laughs> I want to get your live reaction. Okay. Um, to this, I don't know. I think I, I sent it to you, but I want to get your live reaction. Just yeah. Okay. Well, good. So that, so yeah. So this is going to be Dakota's raw reaction. I'm expecting uh, like, a, like a 2003 looking, you know, like low code. I wouldn't say you're far it. off. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't say you're if far it's, off. If it's not that, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. So, and also guys, to give context, we're sharing this not to poke fun at people or make fun of people. Um, we share this in all humility. What we're really trying to do is we want to look at some of the arguments that KJV only people make, and we can kind of dissect these things. Again, it's not to make fun of anybody. Um, it's certainly not make to, to make fun of brothers and sisters in Christ, but as we're going to see on this website in particular, there are some very problematic uh, claims that are made and um, they do not align with the testimony of scripture. Um, also, one more quick little note here. I'm not um, implying that this website perfectly encapsulates all KJV-only beliefs. There's going to be different groups within the KJV-only movement. Some of them are going to be a little more rigid. Some are going to be a little looser with kind of their statements. So it's not to say that this website is going to be you know, the perfect in, uh, encapsulation of all those beliefs. Right. So I just wanted to give that quick. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of headlining that's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, Whoa, I, because I, I, I feel like, yeah, see this. Okay. Is so if you're, you're if saying. you're listening, if you're listening to, uh, to this podcast, this is a, a good, uh, encouragement to, to watch the, uh, the pod going forward. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I love the flowers in the back to kind of like soften the, uh, the harsh, kind of like very firm <laughs> message that they're that they're trying to like purport. It's yeah. like King James Version Bible is the only word of God, but here's some some little like violet flowers in the back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I really like it personally. Um okay, so let's just we're gonna work through this quickly. What is the Bible? So okay. This article and they have a lot of articles by the way on this uh you better have the right Bible, you know, um once saved, always saved. Uh, I would not go to this website in, in terms of if you're trying to like really develop an orthodox view of doctrine. Um, however, it is a good kind of exercise to to take this stuff, be a good Berean, test the scripture, you know, uh, test them against the scriptures and see what you find. It's also so first, like kind of shocking. Real uh, quick mm -hmm. before we get into that, I mean, it, it's like they have they have a, both a graphic and they have typed it out. Why the King James Version Bible is the only word of God? I mean, what a whew, what a dangerous 
statement that they're making there because they're claiming yeah. that that the other translations that are are also the word of god that those aren't oh yeah that's a not good not good yeah. guys I, I i do kind of wonder um because i want to be charitable i do wonder if they mean the only english you know because they don't say that here necessarily um, yeah, but I do wonder maybe. if they're what they're trying to say is the KJV is the only uh, word of God in the English language or something. I don't know. I'm trying to be charitable. Yeah, yeah maybe, um, maybe. But maybe they are saying what you just said. Hey, this is the only um, the only proper word of God. Which I yeah, hope throw, that's throw out your ESVs and your CSBs and all the rest because yeah. they're uh, you or, might as well be reading Harry Potter, right? Yeah, well, and they actually, coincidentally, this website um, has uh, some stuff about Harry Potter and um, I believe the Passion somewhere on here. Yeah, yeah, they, they have some uh, tracks that you can read. Anyways, okay, so what is the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God. Um, that uh, So far, so good. You know, the Bible is the Word of God. And then they have some, uh, some text here uh, from the opening of John's Gospel talking about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and then the Word was made flesh. But here's where it starts to get a little problematic. Uh, so their conclusion from, the, from John's prologue and then a verse in uh, Revelation is that the Bible is the Word of God, which is Jesus. So in other words, Jesus and the Bible are synonymous as the Word of God. On this point, I'd say... They're failing to differentiate between the words of God, you know, the authoritative commandments and divine revelation of God versus the word or the logos, logos. of God, which yeah. is the second person of the Trinity. Um, so, yeah, failure to distinguish there. I actually and I can't remember where I read this. I want to say it was in maybe John MacArthur's Biblical Doctrines um, where he talked about and it might not have been. So don't quote me on that. Um, but I just said it on the record, so people are going to quote me. Um, but I read this somewhere where people like have gotten confused about the the Bible and Jesus because they're both called the – like when I hold up my Bible, I would say this is the Word of God. But I also right. refer to Jesus as the Word of God because John 1.1 does call – you know refers to Jesus as the, the Logos, the Word of God. So anyways, uh, that's the first mistake, and what we're going to find I think as we go through this – is that they're starting with a faulty understanding of what scripture actually is. You know, it's divine special revelation, and it is words of God that are written down versus the actual incarnation, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a book. I just want to make that abundantly clear <laughs> to our listeners. Jesus is not a book. Um, so anyways, let's go down here. Dakota, why don't you tackle this one? Can you see it okay? Yeah, it's, it's, it. a little, it's a little fuzzy, but I think I can, uh, I can, I can try to get here. So it says, uh, who wrote it? God wrote the Bible perfectly through his prophets and servants. God dictated it word for word, punctuation for punctuation. He didn't allow his people to put in their own words, but God used his words. Yeah, that's, um, that, that pretty much goes uh, against everything that we just talked about. You know, when we're talking about the, and I'm not to beat a dead horse, but when we're talking about the, the divinely inspired word of god we're we're talking about the autographs the original you know the original writings um and and teachings not every single translation of the bible is is divinely inspired right i mean that's just that you know we we have to we have to use discernment when we're doing this and not to throw the passion translation under the bus again but that's a really good example of of this um also dictated word for word punctuation for punctuation. I don't really know why that even is 
that that's just a weird hill to die on um yeah because it, it's, it wasn't written in english right like yeah a greek and also and there's Hebrew no punctuation and, right and aramaic and english are all very different languages um with with different formats and sentence structures so yeah I, I, it's just a weird it's a weird hill to die on it feels very um almost yeah. like anytime you you inject this man-made like philosophy or idea and try to purport it as being biblical it comes across as very cultish um and I, I'm not trying to be like dramatic here, but this whole KJV only thing feels very much like a like borderline cult, really. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, and one thing too that I'm kind of even noticing, and I've I've read through this. I actually had to write a response uh, to this article for one of my classes, so I'm like pretty familiar with the argument that they make. But one thing I'm kind of just now realizing is it seems that they're blurring the lines between the original. Actually, they're not even blurring the lines. They just take an eraser and marked it out. Um, the line between the autographs and the, you know, 1500, 1600 years of um, not having an English translation, namely because the English language didn't exist until a later period of time. Um, they seem to be blurring the lines or outright just erasing the line between when the apostle Paul sat down and wrote to the Romans uh, versus a translation and it or copies and then subsequent translations of those copies in the original Greek uh, to a language like English. They seem to not be really differentiating. Uh, it seems to me that they're trying to suggest that when Paul wrote to Romans, he actually sat, sat down and wrote it in English. Um, you know, he had periods and question marks and semicolons and which obviously is not true. If you, if you look at manuscripts, they wrote, um, or at least the copies that we have, in some instances, especially the older manuscripts, there are not even spaces in between the words. So to say that God dictated it word for word, punctuation for punctuation, well, that's just not accurate because there there was no punctuation to punctuate. <laughs> you know what I mean? But and, here's, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, here it comes say, in too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to back off, let you go first. I'm <laughs> yeah. just going to, I'll try to remember my point though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we kept going back and forth. Um, what I was going to say is that if we come over to um, Second Peter here, we know that the dictation theory of inspiration is not supported by Scripture. In other words, God just sat and told his uh, prophets and his apostles what they needed to write word for word, and in this case, how to punctuate, even though we know they didn't do that. Um, the problem with that is, is if God dictated all of scripture, you would expect that the styles, the grammar, the type of language used all throughout the Bible would be singular because it has one author, God. But we know that God worked through secondary means, i.e. his prophets and apostles to write the scriptures. And Peter actually explains it um, here in second Peter one. Uh, here in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. So men are having to speak here, or in our case, they're writing. Um, men spoke slash wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's this, What this last little sentence or part of the sentence here is talking about um, is the sort of inspiration or superintendence of, you know, divine revelation in Scripture. We know 2 Timothy 3 uh, all the scriptures, theopneustos, God breathed. So there's really no verse or books of the Bible or teachings of the Bible that suggest that God just sat from heaven and said, okay, Peter, now write this down word for word. 
Um, we just don't really have any evidence of that. So I think that's the other kind of problematic. Again, they're building their argument off a very shaky foundation, it seems like. For sure. And it, it makes sense too, if we're going to, you know, if we're talking about the punctuation and the grammar and sentence structure, all that being divinely inspired, it makes sense that they would think that because I believe that the the manuscripts that they're referencing for the the King James Version, I believe that they were from like the 12, 1300s. Um, you know, and, and the yeah. the KJV was that the process of writing that began in the 1500s. I think it was completed like 1611, but it began in the 1500s. So you're talking about, I mean, 12, 1300 years after the events is where they're they're getting this, you know, the, this information from. Now, it's incredible and it's miraculous that 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 information was was so like incredibly, you know, incredibly accurate, right? Which is super cool. Those manuscripts are, are very true to, to, you know, when we, as we get a, you know, more, more and more manuscripts, and obviously we see things like those sentences being pulled out because they weren't in the original manuscripts. But I mean, with yeah. like with a ridiculous accuracy, which is why we, we don't say don't read the KJV today. Um, if, if people want to read that, absolutely go for it. But um, so it makes sense if, the, if that's the, if, if those manuscripts are the ones that you're referencing, it makes sense why they could potentially think that those were divinely inspired because they're so far after the fact. Um, but I will say that if somebody is choosing to to be a KJV onlyer, what they're choosing to do is they're rejecting every single manuscript essentially that came prior to the year 1200. Um, you're you're seeing the evidence and you're seeing these truths, you're seeing these manuscripts, and you're just turning a blind eye to it because they don't align with what your preferred copy of of the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think too to that point uh cuz you and you just said this and I think you said it really well. Uh if people want to read the KJV, read the KJV. That's totally fine. The KJV um it, it there are no uh to my knowledge anyways, there are no orthodox Christian doctrines that are challenged by any of the you know, quote unquote errors. Um, that are in the KJV. Okay, we're talking about numbers being mixed up and, and those sorts of things, or or having verses that aren't in some of the more modern and, and up to date translations. Um, so yeah, if you want to read the KJV, read the KJV. Just don't go to the extreme of saying, well, if you don't read the KJV, then you're going to hell, which is ultimately what the people in this article they're going to end up getting to that point. By the way, that's kind of the summation. If you're not reading the KJV, you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. That's I think kind it could be the, beneficial. And again, that's not the. Yeah, go ahead. You know, sorry, I, I mean, we're 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 a little uh, little uh, our, our telepathy is a little off today. Um, I was going to say, yeah. I think it'd be helpful to um, once the uh, once we're we we get past this the site to uh, to pull up that James Y video. I think that it it goes into yeah. um, pretty well the sort of a, a rough history of the KJV. Um, you know, again, not to put it down, but just to make sure that we're putting it in its proper context um, and understanding that you know we don't want to elevate it to a position that it shouldn't be. Yeah, totally. And well, one thing too, and I can kind of summarize so we don't, because there's a lot of points here. I can kind of summarize a little bit. So uh, does the Bible ever change? Well, again, they're going to go back here on the, well, Jesus is the word and Jesus never changed because he's the immutable God. Well, you, Jesus is the immutable God and Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. But again, the Bible and Jesus are not the same thing. <laughs> um, they're not synonymous. They are two distinct um, um, things that we're talking about. So they are accurate to say that the Bible doesn't ever change. The inspired words of God do not change. They, you know, it's a, uh, and I forget where this is. At. I want to say it's in Psalms, maybe. Uh, you know, the the flower, uh, the flower or the grass fades, but the word of 
the Lord, you know, it's fixed in heaven. It's not ever going to pass away. And Jesus says, not a iota is going to pass away until all has been accomplished. So we know that God's word doesn't change. His authoritative, um, inspired divine revelation does not change. But again, they're operating off of the whole, well, Jesus is the Bible. So anyways, uh, they're kind of right here. Like we'll, we'll give them a half, you know, like a half a point for being halfway correct on this point right here. Um, okay, so here's where it gets kind of, or not kind of, really problematic. What about different versions? So here, they're ultimately going to say, depending on which version uh, version of the English Bible you're reading, you can be approximately 60,000 words short of the, tr and they emphasize this, the true version, the KJV. Uh, also, the words are frequently changed and are different. Many are removed. Many are added. Okay, so let's tackle this super quick. Why are words frequently changed? Well, because it's not 16, the 1600s anymore. We don't talk that way. That's why they're changed. <laughs> um, why also are didn't some of the words the way that they talk in the 1600s in in the year zero? So, <laughs> right, you know, yeah, we were using old yeah, English Paul... in, in in 30 AD. Right, yeah, yeah. Paul and and Peter and James they did not speak the king's English. Uh, so just just be clear on that. Um, many are uh, many words are removed. Well, why is that? Here's a phenomenal example that we can look at. So if we come to John 7, and again, if you have a modern translation, ESV, NIV, CSB, you're going to see this. Flip to John 7, really the start of John 8, you're going to see this note here, and you're going to have the verses bracketed. The earliest manuscripts do not include um, John chapter 7, 53 through 8, 11. All that is saying is that according to the best and earliest manuscripts, this seems to be that it was added later. Now, does that mean that this story never happened? It could certainly have been part of the oral tradition. But, and this is my understanding, I could be wrong, and I'm happy to be corrected on this. It's my understanding that most even conservative evangelical, you know, Protestant scholars will say that they do not view John 7, 53 through 8, 11 as inspired scripture simply because the manuscript evidence doesn't support it. However, because it's in so many later manuscripts, most translators make the executive decision to include it in their translations. So that's my understanding. Again, happy to be corrected if that's not the case, but um, that that is my present understanding. Um, so again, we, we, people are making this argument of, oh, well, the ESV is different. What well, we should expect it because we have more manuscripts today. So we should expect a more up-to-date, more accurate copy um, or translation rather because we have it with a greater accuracy um, or we have a, a, a greater understanding accurately of what the original said, right? I didn't say that very well, but you guys get what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, let me stop sharing the screen here. Uh, Dakota, do you have any thoughts uh, while I'm working on pulling up this James White video? Yeah, I mean, I know we're, this isn't a an episode on on biblical translations and you know and going through each one, but something that I heard somebody say once that I I think is pretty good, and and obviously it's not exhaustive or not a perfect quote, but something to the effect of the best translation of the Bible to read is the one that you're going to read. So, you know, just like as it pertains to, uh, you know, to working out, right? If you're, if you're forced to do exercises that you don't enjoy doing, you're not going to do them. So what's the best workout to do? The one that you're going to do. What's the best Bible translation to read? The one that you're actually going to pick up and read. So you're better except off, the passion. except for the passion. Right. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. There are some versions that are, I would probably stay away from, but, um, you're better off picking up and reading if, if the CSB is the one that you can 
understand the best and makes the most sense to you, then by all means, don't go buy a KJV just because you feel like you have to do that. And then you don't pick it up because you don't understand it. Um, go pick up a CSB, go pick up an NIV, NASB, NLT. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, we have some really good translations and this isn't a buffet thing. This isn't a whatever, you know, you know, whatever preference that you, you have, or, you know, what we're talking about, you know, it, it's, this isn't a thing where it's like, I'm being selfish and I'm making it about me. No, this is, I want to understand what, what this says. I want to understand what the word of God says. Um, yep. you know, and so I think that if, if, if I have a, a translation that, that is clear to me, then by all means, I mean, read that translation. Yeah. And and even I would say just use – it's not a bad thing to consider using multiple translations. I, I keep a CSB in my desk, and I have an ESV. ESV is a little bit more of a word-for-word translation as to where the CSB – and I am hope I'm not misspeaking here, but my understanding is it's a little bit more of a thought-for-thought. Thought. It's not a It's not a paraphrase by any stretch of the imagination, but it is put into a more modern vernacular where it, it reads a little bit easier, right, for, for the 21st century. And sometimes if the ESV is a little unclear, the wording's a little wonky, um, I will just open up my CSB and it typically reads a little bit smoother, helps me just understand what the original um, is, is trying to communicate, right? So that's not a bad idea either. Um, by the way, the ESV and the CSB are my two recommendations if you're going to be <laughs> choosing, but the NIV is great, NASB, they're all great. Um, uh, modern translations, that is. So uh, I got this video pulled up with Dr. James White, um, who, by the way, if y'all want to learn more about the history of the Bible, James White has just a plethora of videos online that you can, um, let's see. It's not, he also has a book, I believe called the KJV only controversy, um, which is just hits the nail right on the head. If I was a fast reader, I would have read it before this episode, but, um, I can't recommend it. I haven't read it, but I think J.I. Packer also has a book. Um, I might be wrong. There's a lot of books. I think Kevin DeYoung, or it might not be Kevin DeYoung, but the title is Why My Church, um, you know, doesn't use it, King James or something. I can't remember exactly. I'll We'll look it up and we'll post it online yeah. uh, for those who are interested. But anyway, so here we go. Uh, this video clip is going to be Dr. James White. He's uh, on Todd Friel's show, Wretched Radio. He's going to be giving kind of a background of the KJV. You could probably do a, a 1.25 speed as well because um, it's going to be a little confusing regardless. So, Can, can you hear it or no? Um, I'm not hearing anything. Yeah, nothing from my end. Still hear, not hearing it? Mm-mm. Okay, uh, well, we might not be watching this. Uh, apologies for, for the technical difficulties. Um, let's see here. Do-do-do. Share screen, share top audio. Okay, let me try this again. Tell me if you hear anything, and if not... His first edition to print, okay. because his printer, John Paul, yep, knew yeah. that Cardinal Jimenez had already done a multi-volume called the Complutensian Polyglot. But back then, you had to get papal approval before you printed anything. And um, you didn't have fax machines, and there was uh, all sorts of red tape to go through. So they were sitting in a warehouse. And so Erasmus's printer is an um, entrepreneur, shall we say. And so he's pushing him to get this thing done, to get it out. As a result, as Erasmus himself said, his first edition was precipitated rather than edited had a number of errors in it. He went into the book of Revelation. I got to tell this story now. He went into the book of Revelation. He could only find, he thought the, the library in Basel, Switzerland would have multiple copies. Couldn't find a one. So he borrowed a commentary on Revelation from a friend. And he had to extract the text of Revelation from the commentary. And he got to the last chapter 
and discovered that the last pages had fallen off. And so what he did is he translated from the Latin Vulgate into Greek for the last six verses of the book of Revelation. The amazing thing is he came up with readings no one had ever seen in any manuscript before. That was in his first edition. That was in all five of his editions, all the way through 1535. And to this very day, the King James Version of the Bible has the weird readings that Erasmus came up with from the Latin in its readings in the text of the book of Revelation to this very day, because it was those five. Yeah, so. Uh, high yeah. level, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of high level overview. For sure, yeah. I mean, going into, you know, just wanting to, I think that the my, my desire for wanting to use that clip and share with that was just to emphasize again that the, there's danger in putting a, a man-made philosophy in calling it scripture or, or trying to put it on the level of, of scripture in the, the sense that because there was a tradition that the KJV was the, the best or only translation to use, a, trans, uh, a tradition that has been passed on for generations now for 500 you know, years, roughly, um, because you know that that's now gospel, right? But but James Wise clearly showing that Erasmus, who is the original, um, you know, compiler, I guess, of this, that even he in his in his desire to put together this this you know translation, ultimately, he had some competition, right? And he he kind of said it a little bit tongue in cheek, but his his publisher wanted to get this this document out before um, this other person was going to release theirs, so that he could get it in front of the people and and. I'm sure they, you know, probably made a lot of money off of it as well. He said he gets to the book of Revelation, and the last, you know, few verses are missing, so he has to go find a commentary, and then he translates the commentary into into that. Um, so those those who are saying that that the KJV is word for word, you know, divinely inspired, you're now then saying that Erasmus, you're essentially putting him on the level of God, saying that 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 God touched Erasmus's hand as he penned every single, you know. Every single piece of that, and I'm not willing to do that because there's no evidence that that is what happened. There's no, you know, like you said earlier, Chris, we have there's no directive in the Bible that shows that 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 this is word for word, you know, uh, dot for dot, period for period, exclamation. You know, there's there's nothing that shows that, and it doesn't need to um, because that's not the purpose of it. So I think that yeah. just to show that there that there is room for mistakes when humans are involved. Yeah. And I want to reiterate as we're, you know, kind of coming up on a close here, I want to reiterate when people hear us talking about, oh, well, there's errors in certain copies and translations of the Bible. Our goal is to not create a bunch of fear. <laughs> you know, I don't want someone to listen to this episode and be like, oh my gosh, well, I've been reading the KJV my whole life. What if I'm not even really a Christian because it has all these supposed errors or it wasn't based on the right manuscripts? Um, do not fear. I, I can assure you, even from, from the KJV, and I mentioned this earlier, there is no major theological doctrines challenged with the quote-unquote error, errors that we may find in the KJV. Um, there's also no errors when you read the ESV and you notice that in Matthew 17, one of the verses is missing. There's no uh, and, and KJV only, they may actually make the argument, well, yeah, because it's talking about fasting, and that's how you cast out demons, so it obviously is an important – it's not. That's not salvific whatsoever. Um, if your Bible teaches you that you're a sinner and you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, um, it is a good translation. Now, that's kind of a broad stroke, but not you guys get the point. Forest, right. Yes, yes. I'm kind of painting with a very, very broad – 
brush here when I say that, but my point is, is that modern translations such as the ESV or the CSB or the NASB or the NIV, these modern translations are based upon um, the best manuscripts that we have discovered. And I've even read some articles recently that suggest that we're still expected to find um, quite a few more extant New Testament Greek manuscripts. By the way, when we talked talked earlier about the 5,000, that's just Greek. That does not include Latin, Coptic, Syriac, you know, all these other languages that were uh, copied and translated early on. We're just talking about Greek, the original language, uh, which is a huge, huge deal. Uh, no other work of antiquity has that kind of manuscript evidence, and we've talked about that before. Um, but really, what I hope people can see in this episode is that if 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 someone in your circle is saying, "Hey, you need to switch to the KJV only, or you may you may go to hell," I can assure you, you're not going to go to hell if if you're reading uh, the you know the ESV or the NIV. Um, sin is what sends us to hell, not you know necessarily which translation of the Bible we're reading. But there is a very solid reason. And by the way, the article uh, that I was trying to think of, it's called Why Our Church Switched to the ESV. It's by Kevin DeYoung, and he makes his argument for the ESV being one of the better translations. Um, but it's all based around updated manuscript evidence. That's why there have been so uh, just a plethora. It's not because we're changing doctrine and changing theology. Um, in 1611, the KJV accomplished the task for which it, it was made right it continued uh it, it gave common people the bible and their and their native tongue of english and they could continue to learn about the life and teachings of jesus christ so it served its purpose today we have much more manuscripts by god's grace and his providence we have a lot better understanding of what the originals actually said and therefore we ha have just more accurate copies um i don't know if y'all will be able to see this or not but in my office right here this is actually right here this is a Bible leaf from the 1611, the original uh, release of the King James Bible. And so I'm not against the KJV or I wouldn't have the leaf in my office, <laughs> right? And so anyways, um, I, Dakota, do you have any closing thoughts here before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, just, uh, just a couple things real quick. Um, I know we've we've kind of, you know, we've really harped on this, but that we're not dogging on the KJV. And I want to make sure that that's clear because if somebody had created a video saying, the exact same thing, but with the ESV. Don't read any other translation, only the ESV. And if you read any other translation, you're going to hell. We'd be creating this exact same video. Um, even as somebody who who reads primarily the ESV, I would be saying that is there's no no directive for that, right? And that's wrong to say that. Um, so it's not a KJV thing. It's just the exclusivity of, of the claim that they're trying to make. The second thing is, um, Chris, I like what you said about how we're still expected to find more and more manuscripts. And you know, as technology gets better and as we're able to do more archaeological digs and things like that, I'm sure we'll find more, which is incredibly exciting. Um, but when someone hears that, they could think, okay, well, if, if the manuscripts that we have found since you know, 15, the 1500s have, have had things removed or, or edited from the Bible that I now have in my hand, what's to say that there isn't going to be some kind of major doctrinal issue that's going to, you know, we're going to discover in a manuscript or 100 manuscripts. To give the 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 listener peace on that, God doesn't contradict Himself, right? So when it says clearly in the Bible that we are saved by grace through faith, there's not going to be a manuscript that's going to come out in 500 years that's going to say, "Oh, also, you know," because that it, it, it can't, you know, God God will not will not cannot contradict Himself. So we know clearly, um, you know, Chris, as you said, there is no theological major theological doctrine that is affected 
um, by the discovery of, of these additional manuscripts that's affected between the KJV and the translations that we have today. Yeah, if anything, it should really bolster our confidence um, in, in the trustworthiness of the Bible, which for me, all this history of the Bible stuff is it's very new to me. I just, you know, kind of really started studying it this year. And all I have found is that my confidence in, in God's providence for keeping and preserving even, and here's what's incredible. And this will be my closing thought here. What's incredible to consider is that even in the face of manuscript errors, you know, scribal errors and these sorts of things, God has still providentially preserved um, his pure gospel for 2000 years. That is absolutely incredible to me. And it should really be a cause for us to celebrate and praise our God because he cares for us so deeply that even in the face of human error, um, you know, even that's not enough to thwart God's word or thwart his plan. Um, and I don't know that just for me is a very comforting thought that if God can preserve it for 2000 years, he's going to preserve it well until the time that Jesus comes back. Right. And so that's a really, um, encouraging thought, at least for me anyways. Uh, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this. We know that this episode is maybe a little all over the place. We got to get the cobwebs off. We took a couple weeks off, so we got to you know, shake off the rust and get the cobwebs off. Um, but we hope that this video uh, podcast episode was beneficial for the listener. If you'd like a resource uh, to learn more about the history of the Bible, particularly translations, I recommend to you Scribes and Scripture. It's a phenomenal book. It's pretty short. Um, definitely recommend you check out that resource. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, if you have not already, consider subscribing or following us here on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you're listening to your podcast or watching the video. Uh, we greatly appreciate that because it helps our channel get in front of other people who maybe don't know us or they've never checked out the Light and Line podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Theology and a Cup of Coffee and Waging War, which uh, I'm going to put Dakota on the spot. He's he's going to uh, be releasing some episodes soon. Um, I'm just saying this for public accountability. Uh, so yeah, make sure you check out those uh, shows as well. And yeah, if you have questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Lightline Podcast. Um, until we see you guys next time, continue growing in knowledge of the glory of God. We'll see you then. <laughs>